0: This man, the great Dr. History, good morning. Good morning, Zeb. How are you? I am fantastic. Did you have a good Fourth of July we a weekend? great
1: Fourth of July. Went to the Rupert Parade, had good old original mexican food oh boy Ah, uh, it's great so it, good parade it, and a and lot we're... of hot sauce no 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 i'm a non-hot sauce person really <laughs> i'm a wimp <laughs> <laughs> i'll admit it <laughs> oh uh, my And a lot of ice cream oh yeah ice cream oh my daughter-in-law makes the best apple pie oh Ooh. yeah
0: great you of course brought me a piece i'm uh, sure
1: yeah we'll uh-huh. have
0: to work on that. okay thank you <laughs> what are we going to talk about today on the fifth the day after in the we're
1: going to talk, this is going to be kind of a patriotic program, which I like to do this time of year. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start off, we're going to talk about the evolution of the United States flag. Okay. Okay, now no one knows with absolute certainty who designed the first Stars and Stripes or who made it. Uh, There's a congressman that's uh, named Hopkinson that seems most likely to have designed it, and a few historians believe that Betsy Ross made the first one. Yeah, but, I thought so too. Well, and that's up for debate, I guess, with some historians. Right. Oh, until the executive order of June 24, 1912, neither the order of the stars nor the proportions of the flag were prescribed. Uh, consequently, flags dating before this period sometimes show kind of unusual arrangements of the stars and kind of odd proportions. So uh, these features being left to the discretion of the flag maker. So if you made a flag, you might say, OK, I want to do it this way or I want to do it that way. So, uh, but in general, however, uh, there were straight rows of stars and proportions similar to those that we have today.
0: Was there any flag prior to either Betsy Ross or whomever with the stars and stripes? And
1: actually, we're I'm going to talk about that oh, okay. when, about when we talk about our okay. national anthem. So, All right, yeah. But uh, in 1777, there was an order to establish an official flag for the new nation, and the Continental Congress passed the First Flag Act, and it said, Resolve that the flag of the United States be made of 13 stripes, alternate red and white, that the Union be 13 stars, white in a blue field, represented uh, a new constellation. So that was kind of the... But uh, it wasn't until actually 1959 President Eisenhower uh, provided the arrangement of the stars in nine rows of stars, staggered horizontally, and then 11 rows of stars, staggered vertically. I see. So that's kind of... Pretty much what we have today. But, you know, you've heard the term Old Glory. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to tell you how that came to be. Okay. Okay. This famous name was coined by a guy. His name was Captain William Driver. Now, he was a shipmaster of Salem, Massachusetts. And in 1831, uh, as he was leaving on one of his many voyages aboard the brig called the Charles Doggett, and actually this ship would climax with the rescue of the mutineers of the Bounty. Really? Okay, they were headed out to get those mutineers. And anyway, some friends presented him with a beautiful flag of 24 stars, and as the banner up opened on the ocean breeze for the first time, he exclaimed, Old Glory. Mm. That's how that came to be. Really? Yeah. So anyway, he retired in Nashville in 1837, taking his treasured flag uh, from his sea days with him. And by the time the Civil War erupted, most everybody in and around Nashville recognized Captain Glory's Captain Driver's old glory. Uh-huh. Now, when Tennessee seceded from the Union, uh, rebels were determined to destroy his flag, but they could never find it. They searched his house, they could never find it. Then, 1862, the Union forces captured Nashville and raised the American flag over the Capitol. But it was kind of a small flag, just uh, not all that impressive, and they kept saying, well, where's Captain Driver's old glory, if it even still exists? So anyway, happy to have soldiers with him this time. Captain Driver went home, began ripping the seams from his bed cover, and as the stitches holding the quilt top to the batting unraveled, the onlookers peered inside, and there was the 24-starred original old glory. Oh, my he goodness had hidden, sakes, it. hidden it. So Captain Driver gently gathered up the flag. He returned with the soldiers to the capital, and he, at this time he was 60 years old. But the captain climbed up to the tower to replace the smaller flag with his... Beloved flag.
0: Yeah, but guys, 60 years old, that's yeah, just being a kid. I know.
1: Heck. Uh, Look at you. I, true. But the 6th Ohio Regiment cheered and saluted and later adopted the name Old Glory as their own. I like it. And that. telling and retelling the story of Captain Driver's devotion to the flag that we honor yet today. Mm hmm. So, uh, do you want to take a break right now, Zeb? Yeah, I will. Uh,
0: folks, every year, Dr. History has taken the day either before or after the 4th of July to really be patriotic and I urge you to listen and if you have questions give us a call. Minute Cash of Sales 1321 East Main Street in Burley right across from the airport is the sponsor of Dr. History and don't forget they've got all your lumber packages, they've got all your shingles, they've got all your great western windows to save on your heating and cooling bills. Don't forget to stop in and see Zach and the crew today. Really, really good folks and one thing also I want to mention they've got all the Tartar Farm and Ranch gates and panels. The Best right there at Minnecasha Sales, 1321 East Main Street in Burley, right across from the airport. And they bring you this man, Dr. History.
1: You know, uh, as you think about uh, the signers of the Declaration of Independence, uh, you know, a question was asked me a few years back uh, by a friend of mine. He said, Now, which side would you be on? Would you be on the side of the British or on the Americans? And I Obviously, I always said, well, I'd obviously be on the side of the winners, the Americans. But then he made the comment. He said, what if you had a nice little farm, uh, a few cows, pigs, kids, everything's going good for you. Uh, You know, would you really go against the British? And I had to stop and think about that. So let's, you know, we're going to talk about these guys. Um, Five signers were captured by the British as traitors and tortured before they died. That's right. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons serving the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships of the Revolutionary War. They signed and they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. So what kind of men were they? Well, 24 were lawyers and, and jurists, and I, I assume that I'm not sure what that means legally. Yeah. Um, Eleven were merchants, nine were farmers and large plantation owners, men of means, well-educated, but they signed the Declaration of Independence knowing full well that the penalty would be death if they were captured. That's right. Uh, a guy named Carter Braxton of Virginia was a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ships sunk, swept away by the British. He sold his home and his property to pay his debts and died in rags. And and let me interrupt you there. At that time when all this was going on, you
0: really didn't know who you could trust.
1: Exactly. That w- Yeah, that would be a huge thing. So, Another guy, Thomas McKean, was so... Uh, hounded by the British, that he was forced to move his family almost constantly. He served in the Congress without pay, and his family was kept in hiding. His possessions were taken from him, from him, and again poverty was his reward. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, vandals or so- uh, soldiers looted the properties of another eight or ten of them. Uh, at the Battle of Yorktown, a guy named Thomas Nelson Jr. noted that the British general Cornwallis had taken over his home, the Nelson home, for his headquarters. Mm-hmm. Well. He quietly urged General George Washington to open fire. The home was destroyed, and Nelson died bankrupt.
0: Absolutely.
1: Another guy, Francis Lewis, had his home and property destroyed. The enemy jailed his wife. And she died within a few months. Another guy named John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives. Uh, his fields in Gristmill were laid to waste for more than a year. He lived in forests and caves, hiding out. Uh, returned to find his wife dead and his children gone. And a few le- weeks later, he died from exhaustion and you know, lost his kids and his wife. Uh, another two guys suffered almost the same thing. But, you know, these were the stories and sacrifices of the American Revolution. Uh, These were not just wild-eyed, rabble-rousing ruffians. These were intelligent, soft-spoken men with education, with security, and they put that all on the line for our country. Do you ever stop and think,
0: and I know I have, and I know you have too, uh, with your study of history... Why isn't history in the schools taught that way, as to the exact uh, amount of suffering and giving up what our
1: forefathers had for our freedom? I don't think they at all appreciate that. You know, uh, you talk about the greatest generation of the World War II men, and and I hate to say this, but you and I are old enough to remember and have associated with those great men. Absolutely. And uh, truly the greatest uh, men, the bravery, and some of them going into the military when they were 16, 17 years old. That's right. Uh, and some of them, of course, didn't come home. A lot of them didn't right. come home. That's right. But uh, I, I guess in an effort to be, and I hate to use this word, politically correct, I think sometimes we don't tell it like it is. So we, is. I'll say this, and then I'll let
0: you continue, but I right. think, honestly, our education system and us... We've turned into cowards because it relates to what really happened in our history.
1: Well, again... It, Would there's, you agree with there's that? An, yes. There's no saying that we learn from history that we sometimes don't learn from history.
0: Absolutely.
1: So, but you know, here's these men, again, they put it all on the line. And again, like you mentioned, not knowing who you could trust, Absolutely. who you could talk to. But they pledged, and I'm going to quote this, for the support of this declaration with firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now that's, that's quite a, a pledge. That's putting it all there. It is. Uh, I've been reading quite a bit about uh, George Washington and uh, some of the things that happened as he was leading the yeah. armies. And time and time again, things happened, and you can call them coincidences if you want, but I know at least twice, maybe three times, the British were ready to take them. And in one case, a fog came up that hid them, and they were able to get away. Two more times, over overnight, rivers rose like 10, 12 feet, which uh, stopped the British from taking over the, uh, or uh, wiping out Washington's... Uh,
0: I'd rather refer to it as God's hand in the formation of our
1: great nation. That's exactly my feeling, exactly. Yes. But, you know, uh, and they gave me and you the free uh, and independent America, and, uh, and like you said, the history books uh, don't always tell exactly what happened. And we didn't fight just the British, we were British subjects at the time, so technically we were fighting our government. That's right. So that took a lot.
0: You know, I've got a book here, and it's uh, written by uh, William Bennett. You've heard of him. Oh, yeah. And uh, John Cribb. And it's called The American Patriots' Almanac. And what they did in this book, it's a large book, and they've taken all, like, the 4th of July and told exactly what happened on the 4th of July in the formation of our country, etc. And all the people that just literally lost everything, their lives and everything else, it's just it makes you stop and think, at least it should, as to the sacrifice that was given for us.
1: Yeah. And and has done ever since. Yeah. Uh, k uh, at this time, I'm going to tell one of my favorite stories. I, I
0: know what you're going to say, and I'm going to try to hold back some of the tears. It's one of my favorites. Okay. Go ahead. Alright.
1: 1776, the colonies, we had won our independence. However, the War of 1812 was really kind of a second war for independence because we were being so to speak by the british and they they hadn't really given up That's right. so to speak so anyway so let's go back to the summer of 1814 for a minute two years into the war of 1812 at fort mchenry the commander major george armistead asked for a flag so big that the british would have no trouble seeing it from a distance well two officers were sent to the home of in baltimore of mary young pickersgill and commissioned the flag now, Mary and her 13-year-old daughter, Caroline, used 400 yards of the best quality wool bunting. They cut 15 stars that measured 2 feet from point to point. Eight red and seven white stripes, each 2 feet wide, were cut. Now, laying out the material on the floor, the flag was sewn together. By August, it was finished. It measured 30 feet by 42 feet. That's a big flag. That's a huge flag. I, uh, it gives me chills just thinking yeah. how, what a, an amazing thing that was. But anyway, uh, the colonies were engaged in war with England, and both sides had prisoners. The American government went to the British and said, let us negotiate for the release of those prisoners. Well, the British were holding some of these prisoners on boats about 1,000 yards offshore. Now, the government said, we want to send a man out to negotiate an exchange of prisoners, which happened to be Francis Scott Key. Now, on the appointed day, he went out in a rowboat to negotiate with the British officials. That's right. They reached a conclusion that men could be exchanged on a one-for-one basis. Well, Francis Scott Key was happy with the success of the negotiation. He went down into the cargo hold of the ship and found a mass of humanity. He told them that they were free. They would be released from the filth and the chains that held them. Well, when he went back up on the deck, the admiral came to him and said, You know, we've got a slight problem. We will honor our commitment to release these men, but it will be merely academic after after tonight. He said, You see that fort over there tonight? We are going to remove it from the face of the earth. Look over the water. Well, Scott could see hundreds of boats and ships. It was the entire British war fleet. All of the armament and gun power is being called upon to demolish that fort. Well, Key said, you can't do that. He says, it's full of women and children and is really not a military fort. But the Admiral said, don't worry about it. He says, you see that flag up on that rampart? We've told them that if they will lower the flag... The shelling will stop immediately and we will know that they have surrendered and you will now be under British rule. Now Francis Scott Key went down below and told the men what was about to happen. Key told the men, I'll go back up on deck and shout down to you what's going on. Well, as twilight began to fall and a haze hung over the ocean as it does at sunset, suddenly the British war fleet unleashed the noise was deafening. There was no relief from the sound of cannon fire. The bombardment continued for 25 hours. The British firing 1,500 bombshells that weighed as much as 220 pounds and carried lighted fuses that was supposedly caused it to explode when it reached its target. Mm -hmm. But they weren't very dependable and often blew up in midair. Now keep that in mind. But from special small boats, the British fired the rockets that traced these wobbly arcs of red flame across the sky. Well... It was impossible to speak or hear, Key said. Although it was dark, the sky was suddenly lit. From down below, he could hear the prisoners asking one question. Tell us where the flag is. What have they done with the flag? Is the flag still flying over the rampart? Tell us. One hour, two hours, three hours into the shelling. Every time a bomb would explode close to the flag, they could see the flag in that illuminated red glare, and Francis Scott Key would report to the men down below, it's still up, it's not down. The Admiral came and said, your people are insane. What's the matter with them? Don't they understand? This is an impossible situation. Francis Scott Key remembered something George Washington had said. What sets the American Christian apart from the rest of the world is that he will die on his feet rather than live on his knees. The Admiral said, well, we have now instructed all the guns to aim at that flag on the rampart. We will take it down. One thing we don't understand, our reconnaissance tells us that flag has been hit again and again. Yet the flag is still flying. We don't understand that. We are now about to bring every gun to bear on the flag for the next three hours. Francis Scott Key said the barrage was unmerciful. All he could hear was the men down below praying for God to keep that flag flying where they had last seen it. Well, sunrise came. He said there was a heavy mist hanging over the land. But the rampart was tall enough to be seen, and there was the flag. It was in shreds. The flagpole was at a crazy angle, but the flag was still at the top. Francis Scott Key boarded a small boat to go ashore to see what happened. What he found was that the flag and the flagpole had suffered repetitious hits. When the flag went down, the Patriots would go over and raise the flag, knowing that it was the main British target. Mm -hmm. He penned the song, of course, our national anthem.
0: I I don't think between Faith Hill and Whitney Houston and others, uh, they've done such a wonderful job in singing that song.
1: And I appreciate that they keep it pretty much to the original tune the original words I don't want to change it there are those that would but you know, and, and I would
0: never change that's it that's something that needs to be discussed quickly there are those that want to change the song They are those that want to make it kind of a Mamby Pamby type national anthem and I say listen to the words of that song Really listen and understand what those words mean about the death and the absolute uh, uh, desolation that our country faced without the forefathers standing up and fighting for our freedom.
1: And not just those, but, Zeb, think about the common patriot back then. Absolutely. The guy that had a few cows, a few horses, yeah. just uh, that was not uh, famous, but stood beside his neighbors and friends yep. to fight for Our freedom.
0: Absolutely. Dr. History, once again, a great uh, patriotic pledge on this program for our continued freedom in this country and also the betterment of our country. And uh, I look forward to, I won't see you next week, but I'll see you the week after. Okay, I'll be there. God bless you, my dear friend.